Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Many of you would know that I grew up in a small country town. I was born in the Pinaru Soldiers Memorial Hospital. Woohoo! And for the first 18 years of my life, I was in Pinaru. Where's Pinaru? You might no, you probably don't ask. No one, no one wants to know, no one cares. It's probably true. In fact, we describe Pinaru as what it's on the road to. All right, so, so Pinaru is not a destination that most people would go to. Most people pass through Pinaru on the Oyan Highway through to Sydney, perhaps. I grew up in Pinaru. There were about 500 people in the township. So it was a small little town. Many had a similar surname, which sort of talks a little bit about what it might look like. <laughs> Only, only this small little place. And so being born in Pinaru meant that I adopted many of the customs of what happened in Pinaru. Now, it actually got worse than that because, in a sense, I actually live 20 kilometres outside of Pinaru on a farm. And so for most of my life, I saw six people, the six people in my family. Our nearest neighbour actually lived a kilometre away. And so if you think about that at the moment with where you live, and if you put a kilometre radius around it, how many people are in that area? For me, there was no one. My nearest neighbour was a kilometre away. And so that means that I had lots of space growing up. Just next to our house, we had this scrub land. And in the scrub, we'd actually put through a BMX track. So we actually had our own track that we could ride on whenever we wanted to. We had an underground fort in the middle of that track. And so we could play within that fort anytime we liked. In fact, I remember growing up playing Rambo. So I was Rambo in the scrub. And you look at me and you go, hey, look, everyone did that. Yeah, but I did it with real knives and real guns. As I roamed through the scrub with the 22 rifle, with pocket knives in my pockets, with a survival knife, and you're looking at me going, what's a survival knife? Well, a survival knife was about 20 centimetres long, and on the handle, there was a little compass, and you unscrewed the compass, and inside the handle, there was some fishing line and some hooks and some waterproof matches. So I was running through the scrub with this strapped to my thigh, with my gun, with the other backup weapons in my pocket. Wow, there's a little bit of context for you, hey. So I was in Pinaru for my entire school life, which means that I, growing up on a farm, meant that work hours were daylight hours. And so my dad was often out working on the farm from sunrise to sundown. Because we had so much space, we were loud. You know, I remember mum asking us, hey, look, can you go and get your dad for dinner? 
And our dad's workshop was about 75 metres away from the house. And so we'd always just walk out the back door. Dad! And then he would come for dinner. I remember learning to drive early. I remember learning to drive stupid early. The fact that any of us are alive is amazing. In fact, a lot of people from the city would say, hey, country people are really slow. And I would say that anyone who ever thinks that has never driven with a country person. <laughs> and I remember, through my latter years of schooling, I remember when I got my first car, a two-door LJ Tirana. That was the car to have. I remember... I remember having hair. <laughs> I remember riding my motorbike with my helmet on and the hair still flowing out the bottom of the helmet. I remember our Saturday nights where we'd jump in the car and we'd drive to a random spot in the middle of nowhere and start a fire and stand around the fire with the music cranked up, some good old Aussie rock. as we stood around the fire. You see, some of you go to bogan nights. Some of us lived it. <laughs> My wife is sitting on the front row cringing right now. I'm bringing this wig home, darling. So there I was in Pinaru, I was finishing my schooling, looking really cool. Had my Tirana, had my motorbike. But I knew that I, that I wasn't going to be staying in Pinaru. See, I knew that I was a bit more academic than most people. I knew that I would be going on to further education. And so that meant that I had to make that big trip to the big smoke of Adelaide so that I could attend university. You know, for many of my friends, their biggest dream, their biggest hope was to just to go back on the family farm. And that's fine. That's what was for them. One of my neighbours actually got a good enough score to get into medicine and yet still chose to go back home on the family farm because that's what he knew. That's what he was used to. And that's fine. But for me, I knew that that wasn't going to be the place. So I packed everything into my car, had a trailer with the motorbike on the back, and I came to Adelaide with my mullet. <laughs> you see, I'd grown up in Pinaru, and to be honest with you, I didn't know any better. This was me. <laughs> this was awesome. And so I came to Adelaide with my mullet, and I remember, I used to ride my motorcycle, which was this old, beat-up thing that I'd had on the farm at home. It didn't have indicators, because you don't need them. It had dents all over it, had pieces missing. That's all right, it still went. 
and I'd park it behind Adelaide Uni in the free motorcycle parking. Woohoo! Because it's better than the bus. And I would walk through Adelaide Uni with my mullet flowing, my black jumper on, my helmet swinging off my arm, my big Blundstone work boots through the city. It was amazing. Like, as I walked down Rundle Mall, the crowds would just part in front of me. And I just walked through unimpeded. No one was dare going to get into my way. Not because I was so big and scary, although maybe I looked that way. They just didn't like the look of me. And so I found myself at uni. I was in the right place for where I wanted to get to. It was the right time for me. And yet I felt really out of place. I was in this city full of people and yet I felt lonely. I was in this place that I, ha- I was meant to be there, but I didn't fit. I didn't belong. Why? Because I was trying to bring Pinaru culture into the city. And the city wouldn't have anything to do with Pinaru culture. They'd seen it before. They'd seen people like me before. But I didn't belong. You see, what I had to do was to truly belong in Adelaide. I needed to embrace Adelaide culture. And to truly embrace Adelaide culture meant that I needed to lose Pinaru culture. Oh. Now, those of you that know me well know that you can take the boy out of the country, you can't take the country out of the boy. And yet, Pinaru culture still comes out of me at times. But there was a clash of cultures that was happening because what I was used to wasn't what was what was now acceptable. And so because of the clash of cultures, I felt out of place. You see, none of us are born with a culture. We're all born into a culture. And we take on the culture that we are born into. You see, if I'd been born in Adelaide, accepting Adelaide culture wouldn't have been a problem. But I wasn't born in Adelaide, I was born in Pinaru. And when I came with Pinaru culture, it was out of place. I'm sure that if I was born overseas, coming to Adelaide, it would have felt even weirder, even more different, as I had to adopt to what happened. And to be honest with you, I applaud people who come from overseas to South Australia, to Adelaide. I know there are many people in this room that have done that. I know that we've got people here today who are here because they're studying at university from overseas. So glad that you're here and that you're with us. You see, one of the great promises of Scripture is that when we accept Christ into our life, we are born again. The Bible says that when that happens, we become citizens of heaven. It says that we have a new life and that the old has gone. And that's what the topic of our last series, Who Do You Think You Are, is all about. And available on podcast if you missed any of that. 
You see, just like I experienced a clash of culture when I moved from Pinaroo to Adelaide, we often experience a clash of culture when we move from being a non-Christian to a Christian. We find that space where we're in a new spot, but what we were doing before, how we spoke, how we talked, how we acted, no longer fits with a new culture. And we find ourselves at times feeling out of sorts. Have I made the right decision? What am I doing? Is this really right? You see, just like when I moved to Adelaide, I needed to let go of some of those things that I brought with me from Pinaroo. When we're born again and we move from a natural kingdom into a supernatural kingdom, there are some things that we need to leave behind if we're truly going to embrace the new. And so some of the things that happen sort of almost don't make sense to us and hence why we've called the series Upside Down. Because there are times when we're trying to wrestle with what does this kingdom of God really look like and it just doesn't seem right and it doesn't seem natural to us. And yet it's still what God is calling us to do. You see, this was actually the basis of most of Jesus' teaching when he was here on earth. He was teaching kingdom culture to us. For example, in Matthew 5, 21 to 22, it says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago that you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I don't know about you, but I find it easier with the first bit. Do not murder. Cool. Tick. Done. Haven't murdered anyone today. I promise you they were still breathing when I left them. And yet Jesus is actually saying, no, no, no. You've heard it said, but the kingdom of God really looks like this. And so there's a new standard, a new culture to live up to. See, often God's way of doing things is just different to ours. It's counterculture. It, it, it's a paradox in a sense. And it's often because we get stuck in our heads. When our thinking doesn't follow along kingdom culture lines, our thinking traps us. And so it doesn't make sense, but God said, so how do we reconcile the two? I'm glad you asked. Do you know that it's actually estimated that a person makes 35,000 decisions a day? A day. That's 35,000 opportunities every day to choose which kingdom you're going to be a part of. That's 35,000 opportunities every day to choose God first over anything else. In Proverbs 16.25, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. In other words, if we follow our own thinking without considering anything else, we end up in a space that we don't want to be. Because what may seem right to us leads to death in the end. And so... 
We need to get back to God's plan. We need to get back to God's ways if we're going to make this world better. And so for today, we're going to quickly look at what it means when Jesus said that the first will be last. Now look, I don't know about you, but I hate the thought of this. Who likes being in a queue? No one. Who likes being in a queue when someone else comes in and gets in front of you? No. Hey, look, they'll usually come along and say, hey, this person was just holding my spot. It's okay. No, it's not okay. I'm in the queue and I'm going backwards. We don't like this thought of the first being last. You know, in our staff, in our internship, we have a footy tipping competition. No one enters a footy tipping competition to come last. In fact, the person that is coming last at the moment is mocked mercilessly for coming last. Who wants the first shall be last? Who wants to be last? No. Why? Because in our heads, we equate first with winning and last with losing. And so when Jesus is saying, hey, the first will be last and the last will be first, he's messing with our heads because what he's saying is, hey, who wants to be a loser? None of us want to be a loser. So there's got to be something more that's going on here that Jesus is trying to get our attention on. You see, every word that Jesus spoke is precious, right? Whatever the Bible says that Jesus spoke, that's gold, And this saying, Jesus actually used it as a common theme. He actually used it in three different contexts throughout Scripture. The first context we find in Matthew 19, which was the rich young ruler. And you can read that in your own time. This rich young ruler comes up to Jesus going, Hey, what can I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, Hey, keep my commandments. And the rich young ruler says, hey, Jesus, I'm good with that. Done all that. We're cool. What else do I need to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus said to him, hey, sell your possessions. Give your money to the poor. And then you can have eternal life. We then had a discussion with his disciples because his disciples were confused. Who's so grateful when you read the Bible that the disciples are confused? Because I read it going, I don't get that. And yet Jesus has this discussion with his disciples saying, Hey, anyone who gives up anything, fields, family, houses for my sake, will inherit a hundred times more and get eternal life. And then Jesus says, For many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The second time we see it, Matthew 20, 1 to 16, again, you can have a look in your own time. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. A landowner who owns a vineyard goes out to hire workers for the day. Now, again, remember farmer's hours, daybreak to sunset, right? So he goes out at like 6 a.m. in the morning to hire these workers. He chats with them. They negotiate a fair price, one denarius, normal, standard, day's wage. And he sends them to work in the vineyard. 
but the landowner needs more help. So he goes out at nine and at 12 and at three and goes and gets more workers and sends them back to the vineyard. And then finally he goes out at 5 p.m. and gets the last lot of workers, sends them back to the vineyard. Now, sunset, remember? 6 p.m. he calls all the workers in and the workers get paid from those who came last to those who came first. And the last ones in there, they came at five o'clock. They've been working one hour, got paid a denarius. And all the people who were there first were going, oh, this is all right. They got paid one denarius for one hour's work. Therefore, we did 12 hours worth of work. Therefore, we should get 12 denarii. Woohoo, party time. But hang on, it gets more than that. Because we had to work through the heat of the day and they didn't. What about our penalty rates? And yet when they got to be paid as well, they got paid the same amount, the one denarius. And they started whinging and grumbling to the landowner. What's, what's going on? We, we worked hard for you. And the landowner says to them, well, hang on a sec, how have I cheated you? We agreed, one denarius, fair day's work, fair day's pay. What is it to you if I want to be generous? with these other ones. And Jesus concludes the parable by saying, so the last will be first and the first will be last. The third time is in Mark 9, 35 to 37. It says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. What's Jesus doing here? He's saying, hey, first isn't winning, last isn't losing. What he's saying is the first is last is all about the priorities that we set for our lives. You see, it's all about making sure that we put first things first in our life. How do we do that? Well, it's all about putting humility before honour. Jesus used a child as an example. Now, in those times of the Roman Empire, children were not valued amongst society. Why? Because children couldn't contribute to society. Now, before you start looking at me going, but hang on a sec, you've got to be a child before you can be an adult to contribute. I know, I know. Doesn't make sense. I know. And yet that was the value at the time. Do you know what? If you had a child that you didn't want, you were perfectly entitled to leave it anywhere you wanted. Children weren't valued within the culture. And yet Jesus took a child in a sense, an outcast of society, and said, hey, if you welcome them, you welcome me. Humility before honour. You know, Jesus himself demonstrated this. Jesus was in heaven with God the Father. Perfect place, perfect relationship and yet chose to leave heaven to come to earth for our sake. Humility before 
honour. You know, there are so many things that happen in this church behind the scenes. There are so many people that I'm so grateful for, for their contribution. Who's grateful for those that wear an orange Victory Kids t-shirt? They do an amazing job. Because they want to have a program, not a babysitting program, to look, you know, to take care of our kids while we're in here. But even if that's what it was, that would be brilliant. But no, they actually want to be able to communicate with our kids at a level that they understand so that they can come into a knowledge of knowing God. So thankful for them. You know, we've got a couple of people in our church who sort through our rubbish. They come in once a week and you go sorting through rubbish. Hey, who wants that job? Do you know what? They do. Do you know why? Because they've attached sorting through rubbish with a greater kingdom purpose. They've got a goal in mind. They want to raise $10,000 for Victory Church by cashing in our bottles and cans. And to them I say, thank you so much. Because no one wants to sort through rubbish, but by putting humility first, they're helping finance the things of God that are happening here. First things first, let's make sure humility before honour. The second thing, contentment before comparison. You see, this is where the workers in the vineyard went so wrong. You see, they looked at those who worked less and they thought in their own head, they work less, I work more, I deserve more pay. Comparison. And yet, it didn't happen that way. And they were upset. Why? Only because they got caught in wrong thinking. If they just... Hey, look, to be honest with you, if they were paid first, they probably wouldn't know. They would never have grumbled if they were paid first. But what it did was was shine a light on what was truly inside them. They were discontent. They'd worked a fair day's work for a fair day's pay and contentment or discontentment robbed them. They went home grumpy with a generous landowner. Wow. Whereas if they said, hey, look, you know what? We agreed to this. Thank you so much for the day's work. I can eat tonight. My family can eat tonight because we got a fair day's pay. Thank you. Contentment. 1 Timothy 6.6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Let's, we, we all want the great gain in our life. How do we get it? Godliness with contentment. Number three, it's all about putting others before ourselves. In verse 35 of the scripture we read just before. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Again, greatest example of this, Jesus Christ himself came not to serve but to, sorry, not to be served but to serve us. Jesus came to pay a penalty, pay a debt that I couldn't pay myself because he saw me and he put me ahead of his own safety. 
You know, this works in relationships on all levels. You know, for those of us who are married, it gets ugly real quick when we stand on our rights and stand on our entitlements. Hey, I have this need. You need to fill this for me. No. But if we serve each other over ourselves, we find that our own needs get met. It works with friends. It works with the boss and the employee. And finally, how do we keep first things first? What is Jesus trying to say when he says the first will be last? He's trying to say to us, hey, let's put God before everything else. You see, this is where the rich young ruler went wrong. For the rich young ruler, his identity was found in his wealth. His security was found in his wealth. And when Jesus said, follow me, he couldn't switch the identity away from his wealth and into the identity that Jesus Christ had for him. You know, we are all designed to worship something or someone. And Jesus says, hey, come, follow me. We'll always worship what has primary place in our lives. What is it for you? Is Jesus in the number one spot? Or maybe sport is in the number one spot. Maybe it's your kids in the number one spot. Maybe it's yourself in the number one spot. Let's get our priorities right. Let's put God in his proper place in our lives. How do we do that? Let's give God the first of our time. Give him the first of our day. Give him the first of our thoughts, the first of our moments with him. Give him the first of our time. Let's give him the first of our talents. You know, every single one of us is gifted. God put that gift there. And often we can take that gift and we can use it for our own ends. We can use it to gain wealth. We can use it to further our own kingdom. Let's take the talents that God has given us and offer it back to him first so that we can further his kingdom. And let's also give him the first of our treasure. Jesus said that we would either serve God or money. That's not me. I didn't say that. This church didn't say that. Jesus himself said that we would serve God or money. Which means that every time I get paid, there's a test attached. Who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve God or money? Am I going to put God first over my finances? Let's make sure. Let's keep our first things first with our time, our talent, and our treasure. In conclusion this morning, We have all been trained. In fact, I take it back. We have all been brainwashed that the way to get ahead is to step over anyone who's in our way, to push through, to push ourselves forward. And yet Jesus came and he turned that completely upside down. He said, hey, the greatest of you needs to be the servant of all. As we stand this morning, the first being last is all about priorities. And as we go back into worship this morning, we have an opportunity right now just to reset 
our priorities. Allow the Holy Spirit to come this morning and just make those small adjustments where things have perhaps gone a little bit out of the way. Because then, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, we can seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and then all of these other things will be added to us. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 